Hi, I'm Mary Lyons, The Wealth Woman. And I'm Eric Alexander with Benchmark Income Group. Welcome to the Big Wealth Podcast. We are continuing on this amazing journey with Ian Krohn. And today we are going to talk specifically about how do I approach my spouse in dialogue about money so that we can have healthy and productive conversation and really being aware of what your spouse needs or what my spouse might need. Let's be honest. Yeah. And before we get into each of the types, I know there's some sort of general rules for having fun conversations. I'm going to use those in air quotes. Fun conversations about money with other people. And I really love that you said fun because <laughs> I, I do, because I think the thing that, that we, the default perception is that any conversation around money will not be fun. I'm just going to say money should be fun. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. And so I think, I like what uh, Amanda Clayman says. She says that she encourages what she terms financial intimacy. Yeah. Isn't that a great term? term? Yeah. Financial intimacy. And I like it because it acknowledges that money can bring us closer together. Mm -hmm. Let me just repeat that for people listening. Money can bring you closer together with your partner. It's all about the future. It's about what do we want to go create? Exactly. What could be more romantic than planning your future. This is like, and I that <laughs> it's the number one stressor for marriages, right? And, right. In fact, I can argue that when you, this is an argument, this is a fact in therapy, we always say that few things will tank a relationship like financial crisis. So the inverse is true, right? When you're planning about wealth building, about the future, about finances, you know, about the things, the opportunities that these things open up for us, then it's kind of romantic. The conversation could be, Begun with, all right, imagine if we blank, had the, we had the resources to blank. How do we get there? That that can be a really fun moment. So I think when you go into conversations with each other, maybe you start off with just acknowledging the stereotype belief that there's a lot of difficulty in the topic. Name the anxiety in the room. Right. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, we're going to talk about money. And it's like, it's okay. Let's just acknowledge that could be difficult, but also acknowledge this is an opportunity to grow closer together. And it's so funny. We have this running and slightly inappropriate joke, but we'd have an easier time talking about your sex life than your money for most people because it's so there's there can be shame and fear and man, this could all go badly and we're all going to live under a bridge with a bunch of cats when we're older, right? There's all of those coming in, but that financial intimacy, man, what a cool way to lean in. Yeah, I think you're onto something there too because I think people tend to come in and watch out eights and threes and sevens. We tend to come in, some people tend to come in these conversations not being very curious about the other. And so Mm. I'm always Mm -hmm. like, okay, Always in these conversations, at least in the beginning, if not all the way through, always lead with questions. Always mm-hmm. lead with questions. So it could be like, well, Mary, how comfortable do you feel about discussing money? And so if we're partners, it'd be like, that's a good place to start. Or sure. let's even say you're at the beginning of a relationship. You're thinking about a long-term commitment. Part of the discernment process is mm-hmm. how do you feel about talking about finances and resources and that stuff. Another question to ask would be, tell me about your family of origins relationship with money and how it Mm. affects you as an adult. Man, that is such a big one. Right? Yeah. And in our experience, that's been, if you don't know that, man, there's all sorts of blind spots just waiting to kill you. Oh, so many. And so I always encourage people, like another question would be like, what do you think money is for? 
You know what I mean? Right. Is mm-hmm. it for mm-hmm. purposes of security? Is it to have options and freedom? Is it about, you know, the now. taking care of other people? Is it about, yeah, is it about the now? Is it about the present? Is it about fixing dramas of the past? What's the purpose of it? And then right. if you're asking questions, hmm. other people will feel honored that you care like, you're not going to jump right into the conversation with, okay, let's get the PNL out and talk about what our, you know what I mean, like as oh, a family. Oh, that sounds like me right now. <laughs> right. And, and so good. That's self-awareness that says, okay, I need to go, and you have a five husband, the investigator, right. and ask him questions that will open up the conversation mm-hmm. and make it safe versus confrontational. So right. we actually have a resource for this. It's 50 questions you should ask your spouse about money. And it doesn't matter if you are newlyweds or you've been married for 20, 30, 40, even 50 years, the questions are relevant because regardless of where you are in your relationship journey, people evolve and what they want and what they think and how they behave evolves with it. And so these questions, I think, are good questions to ask at least once a year. Just to be sure that you are on the same page. I love that idea. Yeah. Well, and as that hierarchy of needs, hierarchy of wealth progresses up, different choices all of a sudden become available. Available. You didn't have when you were in your 20s and you're just yes. starting out. Absolutely. My wife and I are in the process of doing this right now. I'm 62. She's 60. We're doing great financially, but we're in the process of thinking, do you want to move to Mexico? Right. Now, that's a big financial decision. Yeah. Right. Because there's a... San Miguel Allende, which is this beautiful community, which is still easy for me to get here to do work. I can I do most of my work on Zoom and otherwise, you know, remotely. Uh, and, you know, it's like, okay, well, if we sell the house, what do you want is the question in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. right. It's like, well, baby, what do you want? What do you want the next 10 years to look like or 20 years to look like? How are we going to end the journey here financially? You know? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and as a nine, can she answer that question? Or is there a lot of, like, I'm not sure. It's harder for her. And I can't let her off the hook and let her Mm -hmm. go, well, what do you want to do? That's Mm -hmm. a typical nine thing would be, I'll say, what do you want? She'll go, oh, I don't care. What do you want? And it's like, nope, that is not a good answer. I really want to know what you want. And so that's, you know, knowing the Enneagram, it's really helped me to know, okay, that's a, we're in a, not a good situation when you start to ask those questions. And I like that what you're talking about, this idea of curiosity, seeking to understand through your questions, not seeking to judge, I right. think really sets the tone for the dialogue between a couple. Because if you come in asking questions, but your intent is your agenda, then automatically you're going to create problematic dynamics in that conversation. Right. Whereas if you're asking the questions with an intent to understand without judgment, I think you get a lot further in that dialogue. And I can say, I think a lot of people over the past couple of years, just because we've had really big societal changes and, sure. and life being disrupted, have um, maybe rethought what some of their priorities were. And I know for myself and for my spouse in particular, Going and asking some of these questions, what is your vision for our future? And then what Mm -hmm. part of that is negotiable and what part of that is really a non-negotiable? And then figuring out where the alignment is and coming to that, okay, here's where we're headed. Because as an eight, I like an end goal and a direction and something to move (laughs) towards has been really helpful for me just seeing, oh, we do have this shared vision. And even in times where maybe I want something in one location, he wants something in the other. If the intent is memories with the kids and more time as a family, you can figure out, okay, maybe the location can move. You know, it changes when it's, tell me what you want. 
How do I understand that? So like in our conversation, Annie and I are, are in a moment where I'm like, I'm more of a risk taker, right? So I'm like, let's sell the house here and go. Now, her, not, right? she's more like, <laughs> why don't we keep the house here and just get something smaller in Mexico, right? Now that's got to be negotiated. And we'll look to outside advice we already have to figure out, well, is that the most prudent thing to do right? Um, or not? This is in a different season of life. We're making different decisions. And um, I, don't, I think it's kind of exciting. Yeah, it you sounds know? exciting. I think another yeah. thing, you really to a point you made earlier that's important to do, is to just remember, the Enneagram says there's nine personality styles, nine ways of seeing the world. So a big mistake is to assume that your way of seeing the world is normal. Mm-hmm. Right. Then you'll feel free to judge your partner if they have a different way of seeing the world. Mm-hmm. You'll judge their way of seeing the world as abnormal. Do you see? Right. And so it's just remembering if there are nine personality styles, that means there are nine normal ways of seeing the world and finances and all these things. It's just and realizing and mine's not better. It's right. just different. Right. So can I ask a question <clears throat> about that? Let's say I was married to a one. Yes. What do I need to know about the approach for that conversation about money with them? If I see, so we've talked in previous episodes about Mm -hmm. healthy behavior, unhealthy behavior. This is where I think things start to get complicated because we're talking about not judging in that conversation. If you notice that your spouse is presenting and is motivated by the unhealthy side of their Enneagram type, how can you help the dialogue progress towards more healthy motivations without causing incredible conflict in the conversation. So if I'm talking to a one, what do I need to know? Or how do I need to present information so that they're open to it? Yeah, I would come in not on the basis of feelings and emotions. I would come in with an analytical mindset, right? And I would approach it from what's the right thing to do here? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the mm-hmm. thing that will be responsible and to elicit? Just remember, that's what the one's thinking about. What's right? What's appropriate? What's right? right. What do the rules say? And you know, come in with the facts, like with fives. But they don't feel like that's a critique? Hey, we're doing this and the rules say this. We need to fix that? Or is it just a, an approach? They might have that response. Like right. it, it's so they don't feel like it's a criticism. Um, I would self-discovery. Start, self-discovery. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, I think also I, I would talk in the language of we, not you, because when you start to talk about you, that can be you can be heard as criticism versus we, right. which is about shared responsibility. I think with twos, when you approach them about it, I would do it through the lens of relationship. You know what I mean? I think this is, and again, we don't want to be manipulative. No, right? yeah, With that's this not the intention. Not at all. The intent is to say, frame out a conversation about finances and economics around relationships. So we were talking in another podcast about how will our decisions enhance our relationship with our children? How will it free us up to be generous toward the things that really matter to us in this life? You know, in terms of giving to things, worthy causes that we know will help people. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I would frame the conversation out around that. Like, who do we want to benefit when we're gone or while we're here? Or... Yes. Yeah. Or how do we make sure that we don't hurt our relationship with our children by getting to the end of our lives and not having resources and therefore putting a burden on them that's unfair? Now you're talking about relationships. I think with threes, the performers, I think I would talk about how can we have the lifestyle we want at the end of our lives that's not only comfortable 
but is more than comfortable. That allows us some freedom to do the things mm -hmm. we want. I mean, one of my best friends is a three, and they have recently just had a big family meeting around starting a foundation. Mm -hmm. uh, Oh, and cool. who's going to be responsible for the foundation when mom and dad are not around anymore, et cetera. So decisions there could be around now that we have acquired a significant amount of wealth, what would be the right thing to do? How do we take care of ourselves, but also our children? And then I'd also frame it out as goals. What goals do we have and how do we hit those goals? And with this conversation around wealth. So if I was approaching a three, a I would be putting it. metrics out there. What does success look like? How do we get to success? And how do we get there as efficiently as possible, right? As quickly as possible. I would approach the conversation with not having to go too deep into detail. Threes are tell and sell people. I wouldn't go too far into details. I might, I might offboard that. I think with fours, that's, that's a tricky conversation. Because it's um, pedestrian, right? Is that yeah, what you said earlier? Yeah, I think fours could get like roll, roll their eyes a little bit around money. But if you tie it to saying to them, long term, how can we deploy resources in such a way that it will fund your creative pursuits for a long time? You know what I mean? If you approached me and said, all right, Ian, how do we put together a portfolio that would free you up to not have to rely on book advances for income? Mm -hmm. That would be nice to have, but you have a floor. You have an economic, you have a financial floor underneath you that now frees you up to be as creative as you To be more creative. Mm -hmm. And as weird and kooky to build yeah, that right. crazy modern house on the coast of California that you've always – now, again, I realize that not everybody has these right, sorts right. of opportunities, sure. and so I'm speaking in hyperbole. But you know what I'm saying? Like, how do we – and again, it's not to be manipulative. It's just to speak into their interests. It, yeah. it sounds almost like how do we relieve the pedestrian pressure of day-to-day -day budgeting and life so that you can spend your time – really on the things that matter and are important, right. whether that's social impact, creativity, whatever pursuit it actually is. Yeah, I would say Man, that's for me cool. personally, <laughs> just for me personally, we were we had a conversation at an earlier time about purpose of money and things like that. Mm -hmm. For me, I think about money as optionality. Mm -hmm. mm. The less income I have or the less resource, fewer resources I have, the fewer doors there are to open. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. It's just saying, you know, we're in a sink or swim situation or, you know, then you only very few doors. If the more resources and wealth you have built or are building, the more doors open yeah. for travel, doors open for moving to Mexico. It's possibility. It's about possibility, mm -hmm. freedom. It's also about how can I use resources to make a meaningful impact for good in the world? Yeah. Now, some people will have more of an interest in that than others, but I, that would be part of my, I would bake that into my calculations. And how you go approach it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's beautiful. And as we, selfishly, as we move into the five, I'm all ears here. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I think when you're approaching, I'll just tell you. <laughs> I would just come in with the facts with fives. Yeah. I would not bring feelings into the equation. Fives are not very interested in feelings. In fact, they can sometimes feel like, why do I always have to be on the business end of your feelings? Yeah. I think it'd be more like saying. Eric, stop laughing. <laughs> no, I'm just picturing Mike. Well, yeah. I just, I would just say I would approach it with here are the facts. Here's the detailed analysis. Here's the spreadsheet. Here's, here's how we can ensure now and into the future that we will be self-sufficient, self-reliant, right. and autonomous and not have to worry about having to depend on anybody else. 
Well, when you were talking about the fours being all the doors and the options are open and I don't have to worry about money, like all those little bells are ringing for me. And I'm, I kind of let 10 towards four in my five wing, but, or five wing four, right? So, but that self-sufficiency is that same thing. It's all doors and options. Right. Yes. And it's, remember, you're a fear-based person. Right. No, for sure. So it also is going to give you a sense of safety and a sense of security in the world that you can maintain your life on your terms and not have to, again, I don't want to, this is just such a key theme in the life of a five, don't want to have to rely on others. Right. You want to stay independent. Is that your experience, Mary, with your with your husband? Yeah, I think so. I definitely think so. And actually, you said something in a previous conversation that we had offline about deadlines, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Because a five likes to be in that That's analysis state. And so not that I get to set the deadline, but that we get to agree on a deadline for making a decision. Yes. Because well, yes, they get stuck in the research yeah. phase. Okay, well, I've studied all these, uh, every newsletter from every single investment firm in the world. And it's like, okay, we got to pull a trigger today or Mm -hmm. at some point. So when are we going to do that? When can we agree that's going to happen? I think, too, uh, the other thing that I've noticed is helpful is pulling in an expert who's already been there and done that. Because as an eight, I have a tendency to be like, it doesn't matter. I'll figure it out. We'll jump in. We'll do the thing. I'll figure it out as we go. And we may make some mistakes along the way, but we'll get there. And I find that generally speaking, Mike is a lot more comfortable if he can talk to someone who's already done all of the things and knows where all the problems are. And so he can anticipate and build around that. I mean, the more we talk, the more I'm pretty sure he's got a six wing on his five. And I think that's sort of, okay, here's how we're going to deal with things when they go wrong is very important for him personally. Yeah. So on the six, so talk about the six then on that side of it, because that seems like that the core for the five is to be self-sufficient, but the core for the six is to not get wiped out. It's to be safe. Yeah. They want certitude. They want, now you can't always have it, but that's what they want. They want to be assured that, that there is a contingency plan in place in case something goes wrong. That might be savings. It might be a low-risk investment that they know is probably not going to fluctuate too much. You know what I'm saying? In other um, words, they're going to be much more concerned about issues of safety. Now, with a, if you were married to an eight, this is going to cause some rub. Oh, my gosh. Or yeah. to a seven, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to be like, why are you being a pessimist? And they're going to be like, no, I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. Oh, I feel like I've actually heard that phrase before. Mm. Well, I think this is interesting, too, with the six, right? I think about even what we do with income planning in particular and how you make sure that you don't run out of money in retirement and you can take the optimum amount and even try to find ways to safely increase what you can spend through efficiency. And one of the biggest pieces of that is making sure that you can take income through volatile markets. So if you think about the environment right now, as the market is down, if you're taking income, you're compounding your losses. I think to a six, that's probably one of the scariest things that can possibly happen to them, especially during retirement. They're thinking about it before they ever get there. Knowing what you're going to do in an environment like this, creating a buffer or a shock absorber for that volatility, to me, that in and of itself, like it addresses the underlying issues of how can I efficiently take income and how can I eliminate the risk of depleting my assets that I worked so hard to build. It almost seems right. like that's the hot button there. Yes. Yeah. And again, with sixes, remember, they're going to ask you a lot of questions. And mm-hmm. it's not because they don't trust you. You got to remember that. It's because they want to know that you have thought through all the possible 
things that could go wrong. Have you looked around the corner? Yeah, and yeah. once they know that you have, they'll get on board and support you 100%. Mm-hmm. But you got to get through every question patiently and lovingly and kindly until they exhaust the questions. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, I'm on board. I trust you. You've already thought all this through. And then they don't ask again. Chances are, no, they're... We deal with a fair amount of fives and sixes because of engineering, and that was my background. And so we've met with them, and they're really hard up front. But once they're on board, they don't ever want to talk to you again. They're called the loyalist for a reason. Yeah, they're Mm -hmm. fine, Mm -hmm. So with sevens, oh, man, this is pretty simple. You want to approach them, I think, in the terms of how could wealth building open up a world of unlimited possibilities for adventure, for a life of excitement, and where you have enough funds to be spontaneous, then I think the seven is like, I'm in, let's have that conversation. Mm -hmm. So what are we doing here? We're just taking into account the worldview of all these different types, what matters to them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And honoring what matters to them. Yeah, it's not manipulative, I don't think at all. I feel like this question is almost, how can we take care of the future so you know you can do this forever, but add experience now, getting away from that. And you tell me if I'm wrong here, but on a seven, it almost seems like getting away from minimize your life today so that you can maybe have a life in the future into let's actually find ways that we can take care of the future and maximize life right now. Yeah. And that might have Mm -hmm. to, as you were saying, that might require negotiation. The negotiation might be, we can't Go live in London and then Paris and then Rome in the next three years. We just don't have that capacity. But we could do just Rome. And then in 15 years from now, we can do all of them Mm -hmm. if we plan correctly. So that's the part of the negotiation that I think could be really fantastic. With eights, well, you're one. How would I approach a conversation with you that would best? <laughs> here's how you win. Like that's probably here's here's that's how. That's a great way to put it. Uh, honestly, for me, I think the big motivator is being able to do whatever I want when I want and not having to make decisions because I have to. Like I I I don't know. My autonomy levels are probably higher than ninety eight percent of the population based on all the assessments I've ever taken. I don't ever want someone to tell me what to do. Boom. Yeah. Okay, that's big. Yeah. So for eights and sevens, they bristle when right. someone else tells them, if I want to get you to do the opposite of what I just tell <laughs> it's you. It's very easy. Yeah. yeah, I just tell you what, you know, I say, well, here's what you can't do. And you'll say, watch me. Watch me. Yeah. And if, if I'm smart, I will be like, well, that's exactly what I wanted you to right. do. <laughs> so in right. our house, we actually call this oppositional reflex. Yes. <laughs> And it is something I definitely have to look at. And I think there was another assessment we had done. And when the gentleman was talking through it, he was going over my assessment and Eric's. And he said, the only way to get Mary to do what you want is to convince her it was her idea. (laughs) Same thing with sevens. Yeah. Well, and I think the other part of that eight that that I found over the years is you value the competency of the other people. If you don't feel like they're smarter, better, faster, whatever than you are, it's hard for you to lean in and trust some of that. So I think having that bringing that competency in. Yeah. I think the worst thing you can do in a conversation with an eight is say, you can't do that or I won't let you do that. Yeah. That'll bring up all that oppositional energy. I want to know, okay, how do we do that? What needs to happen Mm -hmm. so that we can? Those are, I prefer that. Yeah. And then what about the nine on that side? Because that inertia seems like (laughs) that would be a really hard thing to overcome. It's a little tricky because a nine might say, why don't you just take care of it? Or why not, why not, I'll let you make that decision. I think with nines, you have to approach it with empowering them. To say to them, really care about what you want and need. And I know, by the way, 
that it's hard for you to answer that question in the immediate moment. You need to realize that about nines. Mm -hmm. If you pressure them in the moment for a decision, they will go into a brain freeze, like a, like an ice cream freeze in the brain. Mm -hmm. It's much better to say to them, okay. You've, you've met my wife. Is, is this? Is this <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Well, yeah. I mean, let's... Can I, I'll just give you a couple of, how about, today's Monday, why don't we talk about this again on Friday, and maybe you can just think about, what do I want? What do I need? And then they'll be able to do it. They just need to work their way to it. So one other thing that I've seen with nines in particular is that if you do ask them, and they spend the time, and they come around and tell you, that if you dismiss what they have told oh, you, you better listen. then they are going to tell you again. Yes, because you have, by doing that, you are reinforcing the false belief that their presence doesn't matter. You have steamrolled them. And they'll, if you do that, then they'll go, okay. And they'll, they will, at times, if they're not very healthy, allow you to do it and then quietly resent you. And then sometimes passively, in a passive-aggressive way, frustrate your plan. So you just, I think it's, again, you know what this goes to, again, by the way? In every conversation you have with people, I think about finances. And you guys are the experts, not me. But I'm just speaking through the lens of personality styles. Right. Transparency. Full transparency is critical. You want to be not only transparent about where the money is. Fives, be careful because you are not the most transparent people. Not because you're dishonest, but because you're too private. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I think just saying, OK, here's all the facts about money, everything. This is particularly important with people maybe getting married for the second time mm -hmm. or in, you know, I think in, in new relationships. We could talk about that, especially right. when there are first marriage children involved mm -hmm. in the equation. Mm -hmm. That's where, by the way, I always tell people Man, that's that, a landmine. Oh, my gosh. That's why I, this is the only I'm not a big fan of this. But I think when you have a lot of wealth or meaningful wealth. You're getting married for the second time. There are adult children from the first marriage. That's when you actually need to have a written Prenups. agreement. <laughs> I yeah. believe in a prenup in that situation because yeah. otherwise the adult children will be suspicious of the second partner. And so it's much better to say, if I get divorced from wife or husband number two, they will get this agreed amount and you all will continue to benefit from my wealth if I happen to go away right. uh, and then the, and the adult children yeah. will feel good about the new spouse because everything's transparent okay mm -hmm. this is what's going to happen there's no questions like okay is she going to get every, he going to get everything it's like nah. and i'm not just talking about rich people here quote unquote i just think it's important for people I think to at know any level i yes. think it's very helpful and yeah. i also think if you are trying to have these conversations and they're not going well one of the most important things you can do is bring in an objective third party yes. yeah. who's not going to take sides, but who's actually going to focus on how the finances impact the success of your marriage. Right. And I think that that can be an advisor. That can be a therapist. Using the two in conjunction with one another is probably one of the best things that you yeah. can do. Absolutely. And there are financial therapists. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't think people realize that. No. You can get a financial therapist, someone who can come in the room with you from a therapeutic perspective and talk about money. Mm-hmm. And if you can find one, of course, now it's so great because there's telehealth. You right. can find one anywhere in the country and say, I need to talk about money with a highly trained therapist who understands both the world of investment and wealth building and the relational dynamics at play. Yeah. yeah. That's so fascinating. I mean, ultimately, it's how you're interacting with your money that determines your success. 
the math is one thing, but that yeah, pure logic, the math is the easy part. It's the emotional part of this Absolutely. that I think is the most difficult. Mm. Yeah. Mary well, and I had that joke where 60% of our job, maybe 70 is marriage counseling. Feels like nice. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. In an unlicensed manner. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we need people like That's you right. helping us navigate these conversations. We really appreciate you oh, joining yeah. us today. If you are looking for me, you can find me at The Wealth Woman, wherever you social media. And I'm Economics with Eric on social media. And then where can they find you again? Ian Morgancron, I-A-N-M-O-R-G-A-N-C-R-O-N dot com. Perfect. Thank you, guys.